Today is Palm Sunday, sometimes referred to as Passion Sunday. One week before we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sometimes commonly in our culture called Easter, I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Every day is a very significant day in our walk through life, but there are some days and certain periods of time and certain moments of life that just have extra special meaning, such as this day that we call Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. And it ties in with one of our core values that we've been working on for actually the last 11 months. And the core value that was introduced to us last week was revealing Christ. Revealing Christ by living as testimonies of God's goodness, demonstrating the love and the power of the Holy Spirit while proclaiming the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles to all people. Last week, Mike Tarrant gave a powerful message and an inspiring message to us about revealing Christ. He shared about the multiple occasions when God revealed his heart in and through Christ in the world, beginning with his birth and culminating in the Great Commission. And when God's heart was revealed through those um, moments and through the revelation of those encounter, it was something that the whole world would come to recognize as being very significant in history. And the uh, <clears throat> message was delightful, laced with humor, much inspiration, and quite honestly, simply powerful. If you missed last Sunday's message, I would urge you to go online and listen to it. You will absolutely be delighted. That I am certain of. Palm Sunday is the day in which we celebrate Christ coming in to Jerusalem. And I want to invite Lee Clowers to come and to read the scriptures um, <clears throat> that are the passage that we're going to kick off with today. And uh, so, my friend Lee, go ahead and just read the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> it's from Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew here, chapter 21, 1 through 10. Go ahead, my friend. When they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you will say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. That says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went in and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats upon them. And he sat down on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds going ahead of them and to those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes into the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? 
And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Lee. Most often, when we think of Christ Jesus, we think of him being born in a stable, and we think about him being born of a virgin Mary, fulfilling prophecies throughout the Old Testament scriptures. We think of Christ, we, as we've read through the Gospels, he went about doing good, went about healing, and he went about forgiving people their sins. Never did he come to condemn anyone, but rather he always came to give hope, to give life, and to give forgiveness and freedom. Sometimes, though, we think of Christ as the one who did something for us, not as an act of involving us in all of creation. Sometimes we think of Christ as going to the cross as something that happened to him. Of course, it was for the benefit of all people. If we do something is a familiar thought. If we do something to connect with him, such as mustering up the faith to receive him, and then we will have the benefit. While there's truth in all of that, I think it falls short of what the scriptures reveal about Jesus Christ as understood and preached by the apostles of the early church. I want to reach back just a bit into Christ's life, but before he came as a human. Think of this. Jesus is the Father's eternal Son, the one anointed in the Spirit, and he is the one by whom all things were created and are constantly sustained, the Scriptures tell us. And these three truths really need to be held together with the revealing of Christ so that we can fully embrace what the gospel really truly is as taught in the scriptures by Paul, by Peter, and, and by John. And so, indeed, Christ is God, and Jesus is Christ's historical manifestation in time. Jesus is a third someone, if you will, not just God and not just man, but he's God and human together. And when we catch the glorious revelation that Jesus is the Father's eternal Son who was always in existence and the anointed one of the Holy Spirit, the one who created all things and by uh, him all things consist today, we find ourselves standing before a Jesus who is much larger than we ever realized. Much larger. He always was. He is and always will be. And so while we appreciate that Jesus in human form in the period of time that he walked the earth for about 33 years, let us always remember he always was God. He always existed. He eternally was the Son. The scriptures just lay it out so beautifully, although they're not frequently highlighted, as the Apostle Paul so beautifully laid out in the Bible. So let's think of the larger scope of Christ this morning just for a few moments and understand that before the foundations of the world, he already was. Before creation, he already was. Before creation, he already had you in mind. He's God 
eternally and at some point in time manifested himself in human form. Today, he lives, not only in spirit, but actually human form today. He lives, and he will always be. So let's think of Jesus in terms of who he really is. He's the fountain of life. He's the mediator of all existence. He's the center of the whole cosmos, the light of the world, John 18, 12. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Yeah, this is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the Christ who walked into Jerusalem on Passion Sunday. This is the Christ who always was, and now he approaches Jerusalem, knowing it was time. You see, God is one that created time. God works within time, but is not bound to time such as we are. And so when the appointed time came, Christ, who always was, enters into human experience to relate with all of humanity and to bond all of humanity and unite us with him. He knew it was time for him to go to the cross in order for his mission to be fulfilled within the scope of all of eternity. He knew it was time to allow the wrath of humans to put him on the cross and that he was willing to lay down his life. You know, the scripture says he could have called on legions of angels, but he chose not to, and that's where the love factor comes in. Perfect love is always willing to lay down one's life. Now, what's important for us to understand here, this Jesus who came to Jerusalem, who was about to go to the cross, he's not a creature. Oh, but he's light from light. He's not made, but he's the same being as the Father. The life of the Father, the Christ Jesus and Spirit, were never separated from creation. Never As creation came into existence, the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was integrated with all of creation, and to this day and for eternity will always remain connected because Christ created all, he's in all, and by him all things exist and consist. Well, there's only one Christ. Colossians says he is everything and he is in everything. I like how Paul just summarizes it. You know, Paul, he had some insights that we're all still gleaning from, aren't we? It's, it's not a wonder why God used the Apostle Paul to pen the scriptures. One who was a quite a religious guy that actually had Christians persecuted and killed until one day his eyes were opened because he was living in darkness. And his eyes were opened and he beheld the, the, the living Christ. And he was forever changed, and he just kept growing. And Paul, one of the things of a sign of Paul's maturity is that he had no problem admitting his weakness. You see, that's a growing sense of maturity. Sometimes when we're insecure and we're afraid of what people will think, we're afraid to admit we have some serious flaws and weaknesses. And we want to present ourselves as strong and mighty and such to 
And, and, and sometimes it's just simply out of the lack of courage to say, you know what? Wow, God loves me, but you know what? I don't have it all together. I'm still a beautiful work in process. He's still working on me. He's begun a good work in me, and he will bring it to completion. So the more the secure of a kind of person we become, the more easy it is to admit that we're still in process. That was always the message of the Apostle Paul. To the extent that he said, even in my weaknesses is when I find the strength of God. And so we can relate with that. And so we're all in process. But we recognize that while Paul certainly wasn't God, he was an ordinary man, human, but one who walked with God and God has used him to share with us in Scripture. So when we think about Christ in all and in everything, let me ask you this. Why does looking at nature, flowering plants, budding trees, snowy mountains, the ocean, flowing rivers, why does all of this bring such a thrill to our souls? I assume that you do the same as I do, and I've watched many others, is that every time I go down here to the beach, wherever I stand, I just always take a deep breath and go, oh, wow, look at the beauty you look at the snowy mountains, you look at the babbling brook, and you go, wow. Because it's an expression, it's a manifestation of Christ himself. That's why. That's why. He didn't just say, oh, I'm going to create mountains and I'm going to create streams and oceans and whatever, and then go, well, got that job done. And I'm going to move along now. I've got more important things to do. No. All of creation cries out. That's why the scriptures speak about the, the um, <clears throat> trees will clap their hands. What? How many of you noticed a tree clapping their hands last week? It's a spiritual expression of because of the life of Christ that exists even within the tree. Now, we don't worship trees because the tree isn't God. For pity's sakes, we know that, okay? That's what you would call pantheism. No, that's not, that's, that, that's clearly outside of the truth of Scripture and the Gospels. But yet Christ's life is there. This is the Jesus. This is the one who approached Jerusalem in human form. Why do we respond with joyful delight when we see animals? How many of you had one of your pets this morning greet you? And it put a smile on your face, right? I know. It's what happens. You know, what happens to you when you see a, a little cottontail bounce along the hedge, cross the road? You see deer. You see elk. You see eagles, owls, hawks, robins. Oh, and those little hummingbirds. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes we sit in our back little patio, and here comes a little hummingbird in, and it does a little buzz around the flowers and stopped and getting a little nectar. And we go every single time we go, look, look, look at that hummingbird. Everything else stops. The delicious piece of bacon in my mouth on a warm summer morning, I just goes, didn't it? The, the hummingbird. We stand in awe. Why? Because 
It's the very life of Christ that causes them to breathe, to function. Why do we enjoy fish? Why is it so delightful to go out and bring in that bass, that trout, the salmon, the swordfish? Because we see the beauty of the creator in all of creation. All of creation communicates the life and the love of God to us. And here's that creator in human form. We call him Jesus on Passion Sunday. He's headed to Jerusalem. Five days later, he will be on the cross. There's an awe about that. There's an awe about it that I find words can't express. Laura and I were just chatting this morning over Coffee Connect. She and Lee just came back from 11-day trip in Israel. Danette and I were there a few years ago as well, and we were just kind of talking about the awe to come up the hill to Jerusalem the same road that Jesus took. Now, Jesus was familiar, and Jesus stood there and looked over the city, and with love in his heart, he wept over the city because they had not yet caught the revelation of who he was. They just thought he was a good teacher. And you know what? If we'd have been an inhabitant of that city that day, it's a good chance we'd have done the same. Mind-boggling to them. How could this be the Messiah, the Savior of the world? And yet Jesus goes there knowing that the sin, that the wrath of humankind, that the anger of the religious people would cause him to be nailed to the cross. He knew this prophetically because it was spoken of in the Old Testament scriptures, which he knew well. He was compelled by love. Because he knew that all of the peoples of the earth needed a savior. He recognized that all of creation is groaning. All of creation, there's a measure of disorder in all of creation. That's why we have the storms and the earthquakes and the things. All of creation is straining as a result of sin that came into the cosmos. And so Jesus deliberately compelled by love, says, I must go. Now is the time. And I must go and surrender myself. Lay down my life for all of creation. That the whole world may be saved. You see, the life of the Father, Christ Jesus, and the Spirit were never separated from human beings. Even though sin is in the world, they've always been bound together in relationship with all of creation since Adam and Eve. Jesus is the originator. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of the relationships. Jesus is in union, has always been with every human that he has created. 
even though many, many human beings have not yet discovered who Christ is and who have embraced him and the salvation that has been given so freely. And yet, there is this divine connection. He's included everyone. As the scriptures say repeatedly, repeatedly, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus comes as a savior of a few. The world, the world, the world, the world. Constantly through scripture, through the gospels, again and again, we see the gospels presented that Christ is for all. So everything that Christ has done, he's done for everyone. Jesus actually showed us what it's really like to be human and that what being fully human could look like if we could fully move forward into that flow of life. You never want to look at yourself and say, well, I'm just human. What you want to see is that, no, I'm privileged to be a human being. I've been joined together with Christ. There's a union there. I want to discover Christ. Who is Christ? I want to know him. I want to allow the salvation, the gift that he's given to become part of me and affect and impact my life. In reality, Jesus came to show us how to be human more than he came to show us how to be spiritual. Haha. Uh-huh. That's interesting. I think it's true. More and more. To be spiritual is not to be less human. To be spiritual is to be fully human. As he designed. And there's something really powerful about that. That I'm still trying to better understand. It's only been in recent years that I've been really grasping this. John 16. Scripture says he will show the world how wrong it was about sin about who was really in the right, about true judgment. You see, Jesus came not to change God's mind about us. His mind didn't need to be changed. Jesus didn't come to say, okay, Father, now, really, um, I want you to know that they're, they're good folks. And, and I, mean, I mean, I don't want you being ticked off anymore, Adam, and, and, uh, and, and showing your wrath towards them. I'm not sure where we ever got that. But Jesus came to reveal that God has always loved all the people. Jesus came to change our minds and thinking about who God is. That's why the scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. He came to change our minds. If you go around Uh, in any street of any city, and say, share with me some thoughts about God. How do you see God? What do you think God thinks about you? Oh, my goodness, you would have a wide array of perspective and expressions, some of which would be delightful and some of which would be pitiful. Because religion always forms this big problem and that There's this big chasm and that there's a big God from afar that's going to come in and set everything in order. He will come to bring order. He did that through the laying down of the life of Christ. 
That's how God works. That's how love works. So it's so beautiful to see that Jesus came and he brought about a union between the divine and between human existence. This is Christ who entered Jerusalem five days before his life was to come to an end. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To satisfy God's wrath? No. That's not in the scriptures. The cross was not the initiation of a cold, brutal God who demanded some kind of act of violence so he could love his own creation and save all human beings. I've heard that said. I'm sad about that because it's not in the scriptures. It's not there. And yet sometimes it's spoken as if though it is. Did Jesus die on the cross to pay the penalty of sin for humans? Not exactly in the way that we think. You see, Jesus going to the cross was restorative justice for all humanity. One man laying down his life so that our sin could be carried away in his death. But the Bible, and we won't have time for this, that's why the Bible refers to uh, the scapegoat. Jesus, in effect, was a scapegoat, carried away the sins, never to be remembered. You see, all of Christ's life and ministry was about restorative justice, which focuses upon rehabilitation and reconciliation, not punishment. In the systems of the world, anything, any time that we are not fully enveloped and formed to the likeness of Christ, we think in terms of justice as being punitive. You need to be punished for that. We do that as a society, right? The bad guys, punish them. It's the way the systems of the world operate. But it is not the way... God our Father, Christ the Son, and Holy Spirit think and act, not remotely. So we, we live in this tension because we live in the world where the kingdoms of this world, and they see that as true justice done. Somebody has to pay the price for their sin, for their wrongdoing. And sadly, sometimes as Christians, we go, hooray, he deserves that. I've thought that way at times and only to be gripped with the Holy Spirit's prompting. Who are you? You, I thought, were really in love with Christ and Christ loves within you. Why are you, why are you so gleeful about somebody being punished for their sin? God's done a lot of work on me in that regard. I'm still in process. Every now and then I think like that and I go, God, forgive me. That's just not right. I feel sorrowful. And more and more it's happening where I feel sorrowful for a person who has really caused pain and they've sinned against other people and have done some horrific things. And I recognize it's a precious, that person is a precious created one who is overcome by darkness and thoughts of evil. But as ones who are connected with the life of Christ and no longer take delight in their punishment, but rather feel compassion. See, Jesus 
He wept over Jerusalem. He could have become angry at him because he rejected him. So, man, I'm going to get you guys good. You're going to be nailed because you've rejected me and you've sinned. You're all a bunch of religious people down there. And I'm going to, as he looked over, no, he wept out of compassion because he was full of love. John 12, 47. I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look at the lamb of the world who takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus died on the cross, he united us with the life of the triune God. And every human, every human, the scripture says, the apostle Paul said it so clearly, everybody was reconciled unto God. Past tense, it's already done. Christ, in going to the cross, has solved the dilemma for all of us. We've received ultimate forgiveness, and we've all been reconciled. And it means that our inclusion in the great flow of life that's shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not some goal that we have to work towards to achieve, but rather to simply accept as a reality. That's faith. Faith is a yes in our hearts to what already is in Christ. By grace are you saved through faith. We're not even smart enough to know that we need God, that we need salvation. If it weren't for God's grace, we can never experience what he's already provided. It's his grace that does that. And he opens our eyes to the real, real, realization of our need for God. And it's simply then about, yes. Yes. He's already received us. We already have this union. We've just been blind to it. And now he opens our eyes and we just go, yes. That's how we experience the life and the blessing of eternity with him. As we wrap up here this morning, there's a scripture that comes to mind. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Our world is crazy, chaotic, painful, hurting, hurt, and suffering on every front. <sighs> I need rest. I need to find a peace in my own soul. I no longer feel shame and guilt for my own sin. I need to find a sense of solace in as I look at a world that is so hurting. and There's so much evil happening around me. I, I, I need to be able just to find a little bit of, I need to get myself anchored to the Prince of Peace. And God invites us into a world that is filled with love and grace transformation and restoration when we catch this we see the scriptures that they as they were intended to communicate and we see one another with faith hope and love jesus has already accepted every one of you and me he's already accepted everyone in the world he's already forgiven every person of their sin 
how do I get involved into this great gift? I just simply say, I believe in you, Jesus. I choose to participate in your amazing grace and salvation. I want to experience the freedom of forgiveness that you have already provided. I want to experience the joy of salvation. Being a Christian is simply saying yes to Christ Jesus. Participating in life eternal and loving what he loves and being light to all who have yet to encounter salvation. I want to invite you to stand up with me as we close today. This is the Christ who entered Jerusalem on Passion Sunday. It is he, the joy of creation, the delight of all of humanity, that we are privileged to stand before and to experience today. Today is a wonderful day to simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I say yes to the reality of your acceptance of me and to the reality that you've already forgiven me. And I say, yes, I want to experience your salvation and freedom. Should we extend our hands and just simply say, thank you, God, for your amazing love, your amazing grace. We say yes. If you've never said yes before, today would be a good day just in your own heart to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I receive the gift of salvation today. How? There's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that we need to do other than to believe in him and know that he's already loved us, accepted us, forgiven us. And we're simply saying, wow, what an amazing gift you are. I receive you, Christ. Simply say yes and experience the joy of salvation. Let the joy of salvation be our experience, each and every one of us this day. Fill our hearts with your presence and with the power of the Holy Spirit that we might live life freely, cheerfully, and find rest and peace in our souls. In Christ's name I pray, amen.